0: Good evening, it's nice to see familiar faces and a few new faces tonight, and also just I want to remind you that if you're new here and uh, we haven't met, uh, please introduce yourself at the end of the class so that I can uh, know who you are. So when we sit uh, together, the the basic practice that we're doing first is just calming down. And I don't know about you, but this time of year for me, uh, it's really important that the focus of my practice is just uh, staying settled and taking care of any part of my mind that is uh, busy and urban so that I can live in this uh, environment um, in a way that's helpful to this creature and to other creatures. Um, Some days I do it better than others. Um, So the first part (coughs) when we sit and we focus on our breathing is just to find calmness. And... um, I think one of the things that attracts me so much to the simplicity of meditation, sometimes I think meditation is just all of Buddhism, like in slang, you know. Um, You just sit down and um, follow your breathing. And from that place, we start to see our own mind. And the only way we can start to see our own mind, and I'm not talking about knowing about your mind, or analyzing the mind um, is first just to have some calmness to be able to really, to be able to really see. Um, and then second, once we can start to calm the breath and calm the nerves and calm the body, um, then starting to just let the mind, the chitta, rest in its natural state. Being able to just notice how awareness just is, is resting. Is, is nested in every moment. And then I think once that happens, it becomes easier for us to start to not really have an object in our meditation practice and to be able to really just literally and also figuratively or psychologically to just sit with what's going on. So once we can you know, come back to the breath and have that as an anchor point, Um, to then let whatever shows up in awareness be an anchor point and to really open to what's actually going on um, in awareness. And so I like to think that all practice really is is just taking an ideal and making it real. That's That's why I like this term realization because realization, it just means making it real, making our ideals real. And I think a lot of us have ideals of generosity and ideals of kindness. And, um, and uh, we don't really know how to make those ideals real in our life. And, and this process of what we call waking up or realization is making it, making it real. And there's all kinds of ways we can do that. I think the first way we do it, and what we really love, uh, I think, for those of us who, who meditate, is silence. Silence. You know, really valuing silence. And um, some people often say, you know, how, how it's sad how kids in downtown areas grow up not really seeing the stars, you know. Um, but what about all the adults who've never really experienced silence? I'm amazed sometimes just, you know, when people are applying for a, a silent retreat and it's their first time, how they describe how they've never been silent more than, you know, Two hours. You know? And silence, not just talking, um, it's also just like letting the body start to feel silence. And paradoxically, maybe the other thing we really value um, in this practice is conduct and communication. So, on the one hand, being able to be still and to be quiet, and on the other hand, really being able to, to communicate. And communicating is is hard. You know, how many of us, like, really the place we mostly get stuck in our life is communicating? I don't know about you, but for me. Um, Also the way we communicate with ourselves. I have a funny job, because, you know, like, part of my job is to sort of be here and be nice to everybody. (laughs) which doesn't come naturally. Uh, I'd much rather be alone. And uh, I, to be honest, I've never really been too interested in community. Um, usually when I sense community or I hear the word community, I'm gone. You know, And I've never been in a community that I care about. Until now. <laughs> And the other part of my job sometimes in community is also to, like, play the role of the teacher. And what what that means sometimes is to be able to bring things up with people um, that don't, are not always open to hearing um, uh, feedback, you know. And sometimes I like that part of the job and sometimes I don't like that part of the job because... um, If I just am always nice to everyone and support what they want to do, then I don't feel like I'm really doing a very good job as a communicator because I'm not communicating um, what I see and where there can be some uh, improvement. And also, the other way around, to be open to when people want to communicate with me. And I think all of us like being liked. And sometimes we communicate with people and they don't like what we hear, and then they're gone. And then that's always hard, hard for me. Yeah. Um, so uh, number one is silence. Number two is communicating. And number three, which I think comes closely on the heels of communicating that I, I want to mention, is that another part of our practice is really leaving nothing out. Not leaving anything out. And the human capacity for compartmentalization is really astounding. And um, how can we practice in a way that leaves nothing out? That no part of our life is uh, excluded from our practice. Um, In the Theravada view of the Buddha's enlightenment, he had an experience of seeing uh, through fixed views and seeing that the nature of the self is, is empty. Um, and in the Mahayana framework, uh, the Buddha's enlightenment is described a little bit differently. And, and I wanted to just read the sentence that described Shakyamuni's enlightenment, because uh, I think it relates to these um, pieces I've just described. Uh, here's the sentence. Shakyamuni, this Buddha, saw the morning star realized enlightenment and said, now I see that all beings of the great earth have simultaneously attained the way. It's kind of puzzling, isn't it? Now I see that all creatures in my awakening have simultaneously woke up. So in a way, the Buddha is defining himself as that moment, as being all creatures. It kind of begs the question, you know, who who wakes up? Um, Dogen really liked talking about this. And in the Soto lineage, a lot of us have studied Dogen, especially this past <coughs> summer. Um, and after Dogen uh, comes Along, uh, another teacher comes along that really uh, sets the the kind of platform of that lineage, (coughs) uh, Kazan. And actually, what Kazan is so well known for um, is uh, writing a lot about himself, (coughs) writing a lot about his own personal experience. And um, I want you to hear how Kazan responds to this. Um, He writes a poem for the Buddha which is another way of saying he writes a poem for all of us. And the poem is only two sentences. Uh, Here's how it goes. One branch from an old plum tree extends splendidly. Thorns become attached to it in time. So this old plum tree. Does everybody know what an old plum tree looks like? Or just pick any tree in the yard right now, the linden tree, you know, and all the leaves and berries falling off of it now. And it just extending splendidly. And I think we have time where our practice is like this, right? It's bare bone, it's skeletal practice. It's really simple. And it extends splendidly. And sometimes we even show people, look how splendid my practice is. (laughs) Or we feel in ourselves, look, our practice is splendid. And then this next line, thorns become attached to it in time. In time, the thorns grow on our practice. Sometimes we get a little too comfortable. Whereas... uh, the Buddha said, sometimes the house gathers dust. And who here doesn't have a practice that has thorns? I know you're freaked out to put out your hand. But. <laughs> I think we, all, we, we, we also grow thorns in our practice. It's the human way. And hopefully in this process, the, the thorns actually become a practice. And how we meet the thorns is basically, right when they start. When we have a consistent practice, we learn how to witness our mind. And sometimes it's so simple as saying, Master, <laughs> are you awake? Yes, yes. Really awake? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, okay. Yeah. Don't get fooled. Not now, not ever. Okay. This is a practice we've been working on for the past couple of weeks. There's another practice that I like to do uh, um, that's very similar to this. Uh, when I can't sleep, I, I, I don't like doing, are you awake? Are you awake? <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, so sometimes when I can't sleep, I do a practice that like it. When I just say to myself, um, uh, nobody can die. I keep saying this. No, nobody can die. And at first, you know, your in- intellectual mind wants to fight with that. <laughs> but really, nobody can die. And if you keep saying this to yourself, you know, try this when you can't sleep. Because usually when you, you can't sleep, there's a lot of ruminating going on and so if you just keep saying you know staying with your breathing and nobody can die it's actually the same koan in a way and, and what it's saying is that that this self that I'm preoccupied with and I, I, I was born Jewish and so I know how to worry a lot I don't know if anyone here has that a couple of people but I really know how to worry so when I say this to myself you know no, nobody dies And why does nobody die? Because there's nobody here now. That this self that we're clinging to so much, uh, what we're trying to do by awakening is just waking up to this self that we think we have is um, just branches and thorns. Sometimes the branches are smooth. Sometimes it's thorny. And our job is to just witness that, to open to that, And how we react to it. Sometimes it's so simple as just saying to myself, This thought makes me feel bad. But you have to have like some proximity to what's going on to actually be able to do that, you know? Or, This thought that I have or this way that I'm communicating makes other people feel bad. How many of us are like, skilled enough to do that? Usually when there's something going on, most of us take two routes, blame in or blame out. Oh, it's all me. It's all me. Or it's all them. It's all them. And we can't see how things are co-created because we just want a quick answer and we do blame in or blame out. Am I alone here? So when we say, Master, Master, it's the same as saying, Nobody can die. And I don't mean to use this like, you know, to go to war and, and slay people. It's just their body. <laughs> the self is just a construction, and, you know, a little napalm is, you know. <laughs> And then I think when we practice in this way, I I think the thing that we learn that's the hardest is that um, uh, you don't get anything from, from this practice. I once heard a teacher say, in this practice you get nothing. You get nothing. One monk said, many people go fishing their whole lives without realizing it's not really fish that they're after. (laughs) I actually think this is literally true. Like, I think a lot of people go fishing to, like, spend some time with their son. You know? And they need a lot of stuff in order to do it. They need a little bit of killing and some worms and some blood and sharp knives. (laughs) And then you get enough manliness and so on. And then you, you can relate to your kid and then you have a moment. And then you drink the rest of the day. <laughs> I'm like sitting on a cooler. Many people go fishing their whole lives without realizing it's not fish they're after. So another way of saying this is practice is not about getting anything. Like when the Buddha describes me, I, I, next week I, was, I actually had this thought that we could spend a month just reading, like every Tuesday we would read a different version of the Buddha describing his enlightenment. I thought this would be fun. But when you see uh, the iconography of the Buddha describing his enlightenment, in those first teachings, he has his his index finger pointing down to the earth. That this is what we're waking up to. That you don't get anything. Is that a little hard to swallow? Can you really hear that? Practice in a way in in zen sometimes it's called no gaining idea when you're in meditation sometimes this is the only instruction to practice with no gaining idea and then thorns form and we have a way to relate to them and i'm going to ask you about thorns in your own life in a in a second um, I wanted to read a couple poems that I think articulate this really, really well. Um, First is a Chinese poem. It's from a book I've been obsessed with called The Golden Age of Zen. Um, It's out of print, uh, but you can find it at Robarts Library. In a moonlit night on a spring day, the croak of a frog, it pierces through the whole cosmos and turns it into a single family. <laughs> the croak of a frog turns the whole cosmos into a single family. Can you do this with the sound of the uh, pipes? <laughs> that whole, whole, whole symphony. With all those pipes, the sound of the toilet, someone ringing the doorbell, people coughing and, you know, Whatever um all one big family here's another one it's called detached be detached be detached be so thoroughly detached what then the pine is green and the snow is white be thoroughly detached detached from what Detached from this this constant uh, self-centeredness that we live in. Be detached. And then in that detachment, that detachment from, it's me that's going to die. It's me that has to create. It's me that has to give. It's me that has to fix. It's me that has to help. And then when we're not holding on to that so tightly, then you can see the color of the leaves at this time of year. How many of us have to, like, force ourselves outside at this time of year, off the computer screen? Because my emails are so important. Like, you know. Not because they're emails, because they're my emails. They're for me. <laughs> for This person needs to t- talk to me. But, and then there's like pressure, you know, to get back to them right away. And meanwhile, the, the snow is white. It snowed, yes, two days ago. And the leaves are all so beautiful. So I encourage you, when sometimes this practice gets difficult and the thorns come, to also see that this practice has thorns. And if you get stuck on the thorns, then you don't see the green of the pine. We don't see each other. And we also forget what we're capable of because we get defensive. Oh, I'm like this. You're wrong. Or oh my God, I'm nothing, you are completely right. But how we can keep dialogue open for all of us in our lives. And like I said in the asana class, you know, there's a time to be flexible and there's a time not to be flexible. Some of us maybe sometimes we're too flexible. I have a friend, a, a good friend, and We always joke how we always end up in codependent relationships, not with each other, but with other people. And uh, she always says to me, we're benders. I like this term. We're benders. And there's a time to bend, and there's also a time not to bend. And the symbol of compassion in the lineage of yoga that we practice is of a sword that's sharp on two sides, that is so sharp that it can cut through what's real and what's not real, what's me and what's not mine, blame in and blame out. And, and, and it's a sort of discernment. And this is actually, I find this a great symbol of compassion. And some of you also might know that one of the ways Avalokiteshvara, the Buddhist deity of compassion manifests, is as manjushri, and Manjushri is always leaning to one side, with a sword twice the length of his spine. So it's kind of, and usually curls and you know, kind of like Jewish hair, you know, and a big sword, you know. And this is the sword of compassion. And I, I think a lot of us we like to think of compassion as so soft, nice. Sometimes there's a place to, you know, be strong, and to and to call things, and then to also meet that when people do that with us. Um. So uh, I thought that tonight uh, I could just speak for a short time, so I'm done. <laughs> And uh, actually, what I would really like is for us to talk together amongst ourselves. And um, I would like it if you found a partner and for five minutes, just to share together, two and a half minutes each, um, what your intention is for coming here. Why, Why do you come here? Why do you come here and practice? And you know, sometimes our intention uh, changes. So tonight, for example, you know, this evening, your body, how it feels, your energy level, um, why did you come here tonight? Was it just automatic pilot, you know, that the, you know, your parole officer is making you be here? You know, your inner parole officer, you know. Why are you here? And maybe you haven't thought about it. So I'd like you to find someone in the first part of our exercise, just to share two and a half minutes each, uh, in a quiet tone, so it doesn't become rambunctious. You know, uh, well, why are you here? Why did you come here tonight? Okay. So find someone who looks uh, friendly. <laughs>